1: You guys, welcome to another Just The Sip. Today, my guest is Greg Kelly from the Showtime docuseries, Outcry. At the age of 18, he was wrongfully convicted of aggravated sexual assault of a child. We the jury find the defendant, Gregory Kelly, guilty of the offense of super aggravated sexual assault? He has since been exonerated and is here to share his story. Everybody, please welcome Greg Kelly.
0: What's going on, man? Uh, Thank you for having me.
1: Bro, after we talked on Daily Pop, I was like, get him back on Just a Sip. This needs to be a longer conversation because I think a lot of times when we talk about injustice, especially in this country right now, a lot of times people just can't really connect to it. But you were an 18-year-old man. Everyone remembers when they were thinking about going to college and taking that next step and nervous about the future. When I was, that, was, that, that was happening when most of us was 18. What was happening in your life when you were 18?
0: Man, when I was 18 years old, I think I missed the transition period. I think I went from a kid, an adolescent, to becoming a man really quick and um and it wasn't because you know i had to become a man to conform to society i had to become a man to survive yeah i had to become a man to not be labeled something in in a place full of hate full of racism right full of um criminals and so at 18 years old there was one part of that year where i was a high school kid who just wanted to make good grades who wanted to go play college football, who wanted to get out of Leander, Texas, and go make something of himself. And then within one week, I am a labeled child molester. I don't know how an 18-year-old um, even fathoms or prepares to start fighting against false accusations like that, but we, uh, I had to do it really, really quick, man.
1: Greg, you were going, trying to pick out a tuxedo for prom. You worried about Friday right, Night Lights. Like right. so you were ready to get on the gridiron. And how did you find out that somebody was accusing you of molesting a four year old? How did how did you even find out?
0: Yeah, man, it was it was during the summertime. It was in uh, July of two thousand and thirteen. I was just getting out of a summer strength and conditioning camp that the high school was holding over the summer for their athletes. So, you know, kids just don't sit down and, and play PS4 and just, you know, just shoot the ball. They want to go and continue to work out because football season's right around the corner. So that's yeah. what I was doing. I was training really hard during the summer. And uh, I got out of that, that camp one morning around 10 a.m. I checked my phone, about to hop in my car and go back home, right? And so, yeah. I saw a bunch of missed calls from my brother, Marlon, and I knew it was urgent because he like called me like eight times. And then he texted me saying, hey, if, you know, you're thinking about going to Shama's house, don't go to Shama's house.
1: And Shama and- is for you guys who didn't watch a documentary. Shama was the woman who Greg lived with, um, a family that Greg had lived with, who owned a daycare center and ran it out of her home.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So Shama McCarty is the mother of Jonathan McCarty jonathan mccarty is a very significant person in the documentary outcry super 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 important to understand who shala mccarty is it was somebody who you trusted like a parent absolutely she was like a mother figure to me just opening up her house when both my mom and my dad my junior year both got diagnosed with some medical problems where they couldn't actually take care of me they couldn't provide for my my housing right and they couldn't just be my mom and dad so they actually got hospitalized. My dad suffered a, a pretty bad stroke, and my mom was developing brain tumors. So, I mean, it's fair to say that me as an individual, as a kid, uh, was going through a whole lot. And so, like, I was just trying to stay on the football path because that even just put fuel of the fire even more towards just making my family proud and, and bringing something that I can, you know, some sort of success back and taking care of them. So, Shama McCarty opened up her house. And uh, at that time, I kind of faintly knew that she was running in-home daycare because I would hang out um, sometimes at their house uh, during yeah. the football season and stuff because her son, Jonathan McCarty was my best friend. Um, so, you know, we would just come over and hang out and eat yeah. you know, in pockets and play some video games. She was the mom who had the Pop-Tarts and the yes. cereal and she shit. was the one with the pizza rolls, uh, the unlimited amount of Coke and invite all the friends over. Let's hang out. So yeah, that was the type of house it was, man. I mean, sometimes they they nicknamed it Grand Central Station. You know, kids were coming and going, Jonathan's friends, a little bit of my friends, whatever. Right. So, you know, I ended up living there for several months out of my, uh, my junior year, high school year. Yeah.
1: I just have to know, because I watched all five episodes of this thing. And for me, There was this moment I was trying to figure out because knowing that you were innocent, when was the moment where you thought, holy this is actually gonna happen to me? Because I feel like you held your head high throughout the whole thing. And then there was one moment for me where I thought, oh, maybe this is the moment where he thinks might get real. When did you lose hope in the justice system?
0: I lost hope in the justice system when they accused me of a second child. Um, that right there, it felt like the first child was like, man, I didn't do it. I had nothing to do with this. You got the wrong guy. You made a mistake. Go find the truth. But almost exactly one month later, I'm in already in an alternative school. I was kicked out of the high school. I couldn't start my senior year normal, right? Wow. So I had to start my first day of school at this learning alternative center that the district has where kids that are troublemakers go to. And then, so I had to start my first week of school there. And my first week of school, I ended up getting handcuffs slapped on me again in class and for a second child. And at that moment, I was broken. It felt like I was somebody was trying to kill me. You know, somebody was literally coming after me, and that I lost all hope that they're going to figure this out. Because at that moment, when a second child come out, you know you have nothing to do with anything they're accusing you of. And the 100. next thing you know, you feel completely helpless. Because it's just happening over and over and over again. And now you're wondering, what else is going to happen to me now?
1: Let me ask you this question. When did Showtime come to you and say, we want to do this? Like, we want to we showcase this story. When did they initially come to you? How far along in the process were you? Showtime didn't
0: initially come to me. It was actually the director and the and the company, Batbridge Entertainment, who produced Outcry, um, right? So yeah. Pat Candelis actually got a word from, um, I mean, I've heard two different types of things, and I think it kind of happened at the same time where mm-hmm. um, one of Gabri's dancers at the dance company that she is a director at, I guess their parents knew Pat, and so kind of ran it by him saying, hey, have you heard about this Greg Kelly thing? I'm just about a year in prison at the time. And I'm just trying to get my word out. Like, hey, please look at, re-look re- at my case. I'm innocent. Somebody help me, please. And so Pat kind of heard about it. So he's like, okay, I'll go talk to people. You know, I'll talk to his family. So he rearranged a meeting with my family, my initial family, and started talking to him, asking questions. He's super skeptical, which every documentary maker, di- director, and journalist. Oh, 100. Like, he's definitely You need to be a skeptic and you need to ask the tough questions. And that's what he did. He sat my parents down and asked the tough questions. And I think every question he asked, he didn't expect that answer. So he was like, no way. This cannot be true. You can't make this up. It sounds like some type of fictional movie. And they're like, we're not making it up, Pat. And so I think he then went to go talk to my attorney, my appeal attorney, and my appeal attorney backed up every single one of those answers. Wow. He says, Yes, I'm literally trying to get an innocence hearing for this man. But this DA, Janet Duty, who sadly committed suicide during this whole thing, she told my attorney, if there's nobody else living in that house that looks like Greg Kelly and also is named Gregory Raymond Kelly, then we have nothing to talk about here. That's literally what Janet Duty told my attorney. So when Pat heard that, he said, okay, that's the problem. That's th- something wrong there. So, um, Pat was like, okay, I'm going to dig in a little bit more. And he started learning about my, my ex defense attorney during the initial trial. And he's just like, Oh my gosh, it's the perfect storm. So he's just like, okay, we're going to run with it. And so he, he then, you know, interviewed my friends and started interviewing a bunch of people like my coaches just to get the story of who Greg Kelly is getting right in there. Yeah. He, he, oh and then he came and visited me when I got transferred back in 2017, right before I got released, he we had our first interview ever in the Williamson County Jail.
1: Which is, uh, I'm trying to wrap my head around being 18 years old. <laughs> Tough. And, yeah. and what was your first day in prison like? First day, man, first day. Um, you walked in there with yeah. a target the size of a mattress on your back, because I don't know if you guys know yeah. out there, but. If you are labeled a child molester in jail, there is a 70% chance that you will not walk out.
0: Exactly. I mean, the life expectancy of a child molester in prison is not years, it's days. Let's just put it like this. The people that were around me that were child molesters, they were getting stabbed. They were getting beat up. They were getting sexually assaulted. They were getting their family threatened. Their family was being extorted. All this stuff. You and you're witnessing this.
1: You're witnessing this. I'm witnessing
0: all of it. I'm An witnessing 18. all of it. And I'm just like, I'm setting back like, please do not realize what I'm tra- I'm in here for. Because at the time, I'm, I'm literally trying to look over my shoulder every second. And living life on the edge like that, it's complete hell. I mean, it's like, you're almost like, you know what? It's not even worth being alive. Yeah. Having to live life on the edge every single day, not knowing if you're going to get stabbed to death, if you're going to get beat up. Or if you're going to get raped, because that's a sign of violence in there. It's not a sexual act. It's to put you in your place. Right, right. It's to literally degrade you and take every form of dignity that you have. And so I was witnessing this firsthand around me, um, hearing it, smelling it, seeing it. It's the most disgusting thing in the whole world. And at the time, my whole mind was survival. Just survive. And don't ever let your family know what you're having to go through in here. Because if, if, if anything else in the world, last thing I want is my family to stress about what's happening to me, what's going on. And thank God I wasn't attacked, I wasn't stabbed. Um, I had to defend myself multiple times um, due to people, you know, individual people that did not like me. But at the same time, man, it could have been a whole lot worse. I thank God that I, I signed up for college because signing up for college, it put me on a unit that's not the most violent unit. Oh um, wow! You know, gave me an opportunity. It gave me the opportunity to get a job in the factory, learn some skills that I now, you know, have started a small business with, and um, and also pursue my my degree, which got me straight A's and B's to get into the University of Texas. So, if you want to talk about beauty out of ashes, that's that's right there. That's that's it.
1: You got sentenced to twenty five years in jail. Yes. You There's went in day. there thinking you were going to do that twenty five. At what yeah. point did you think? holy shit. this is going to turn around. I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know,
0: the whole time I was remaining hopeful, you know, I was digging deep into my faith, trying to develop faith, you know, trying to seek God in this whole situation because, you know, when it's all said and done, dude, when everything else is taken away from you in life, all the money, you don't have money. I mean, you don't own anything. They could take all your pictures and your writing supplies and uh-huh. books lose it write it off and say i'm sorry that's literally how the prison system is you do not have the right to own anything so the only thing you have left is your soul your body and your respect and so those are things that you learn to operate under which is feeding your soul feeding your spirit because that's the that's the thing you're holding on to the most when everything else is stripped it's who you are as a person who god is to you So when I was in that position, man, I really got to do some soul searching. I really got to start reading a little bit more, uh, start working on me and started working on um, how I can maintain a relationship with my beautiful now wife at the time, girlfriend, Um, because, you know, her and I would write, man. I mean, we would write each other all the time. And I feel like, man, I tell you, whenever we started writing each other, we played the little cheesy games, 20 questions on, on, on the notepad, you know, because... Believe it or not, when you ask twenty questions every week for three hundred and something weeks, you get to know each other very, very well. So, um, oh, for sure. So i I feel like we got to know each other's heart during this whole process. So when I got out, even though the physical was never there, we actually fell in love with each other on an intimate level, where we knew each other like like the back of our hands. So oh, sitting there, coming out, we could finish each other's sentences. We could literally know what each other wants. Oh, you want some eggs with some bacon and some refried beans? I got you. So it's just like, those are things that that really made life and freedom so awesome when I got out was that, that connection her and I developed while, while in there.
1: I I mean, I'm going to hand it to her right now because a lot of you people out there, all you Instagram thoughts, who leave a dude because he's broke for a minute, or who leave a dude to go on a trip with somebody. This woman stood by you for three years at the age of 18 and sat with you and believed in you. What would have happened to you had you not had that connection in jail?
0: Man, I don't know. I mean, that's just like a, that's a big what if, you know, it's like I, I try to stay away from the what is, but sometimes, I mean, when you know you have something so good in life, you always try to think like, what if that never got put into my life? Like kind of that answer, that, the question you just asked. And I would think that, you know, without Gabriel, man, I probably would still be sitting in jail as an innocent man um, with a whole bunch of hate in his heart, little yeah. help, completely dead, but still alive at the same time. And so, like sitting there, man, she kept with her love that she showed, showed me throughout the whole process, it kept that fire in my soul alive. You know, it kept that emotion that you don't get in prison, which is love. There is no love in prison. It's nothing but respect me, you know, or you're gonna get beat up. Like that's pretty yeah. much it. And so there's no love in prison. So feeling that love from her all those years kept that 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 tank, that love tank filled, man. So when I got out, um, I didn't have a bunch of hate in my heart. People always ask me, like, dude, why don't you have more hate? Like, why aren't you more angry? Like, why don't oh, you? I would have f- somebody fight?
1: up. I would have fought. I would have yeah.
0: fought. Yeah. I mean, why, why, why don't you get out and start just cussing out everybody that did you wrong? And I say, well, I don't got any hate in my heart. I mean, it's simple as that. I mean, I have no urge to go and cuss somebody out because at the end of the day, my goal now is to make sure this doesn't happen again. It's not about me. Yeah. Right. So if, if I go and cuss people out, I'm like, yeah, I mean, you have pity on me because you did all this to me. Well, now I'm like, you know what? That's not helping the problem here because the problem is we have a justice system that has DAs, detectives and positions that have badges and licenses that they should not have. So, um, yeah, man, if Gabriel and everybody else who's loved on me did not come into my life, um, I would be a totally different Greg Kelly getting out of the situation if I was found innocent because Gabriel we're going to talk about her in a little bit, but you, Gabry, yeah. a lot of people don't know the stuff Gabriel did, not only just the love part on being such a faithful woman that has wisdom and strength beyond her years, but also the woman where she actually went like undercover PI work with the PI that I had in my case that I'm under- <laughs> a lot of people don't know that for you guys yeah.
1: who don't know out there, Greg, did she go undercover? to yes. Try to get the second suspect.
0: Um, yes. All of our friends knew each other. Right. And so like, yeah. So like, so Jonathan's friends kind of knew Gabriel and, and knew me, and and then like my attorney tried to reach out to a lot of Jonathan's friends, but they didn't want to talk. But so, but you know, little cute, beautiful blondie comes in. She said, "Hey, let me just talk to you about blah blah." And next thing you know, she's over here getting information that she needs to get my attorney because it's information that proves to my innocence. So <sighs> that's the kind of a a, a bad bad. is right there i'm telling you she's not just the most sweetest woman i've ever met in my life but at the end of the day if you're messing with somebody she loves she's gonna go and get you
1: and her parents too sat there and rode with her because a lot of people would say move on with your life this dude got 25 years like this is your college years that's mad respect for that that family i have mad respect for them i don't even know them and i respect them
0: Right. Yeah. So a little bit of backstory about David and um, Tracy Anderson, Gabriel's parents. David is a leadership teacher at Leander High School, the high school I went to and Gabriel and I went to. And he's a leadership teacher and he's also a golf coach. Very well respected, shows nothing but respect and love to the kids. He's the type of guy that if he sees you outside the school and just sitting there for hours on end, don't have a ride, he's going to offer you for, to, to take you home and make sure you get home right and stuff like that. And always there to, to answer a phone if, you, if you're if you calling him and stuff like that. He's the he's that type of guy. So David and Tracy, they were known. I mean, if David could run for mayor in Leander, he would win. Uh, when I first got accused, man, the first person I went to the very next day was David Anderson wow and i actually sat down with him i was so scared and i was so because it was getting real it wasn't like the same day where it's like oh this is a total mistake somebody's playing a bad prank right the second day is when it got real because i had to go get an attorney because they're literally telling me that like hey no it's not a joke you're getting accused i'm over here like who do i need to talk to and say i have nothing to do with this but then again nothing's happening so i'm having to go get an attorney that's when sean mccarty said, hey, we have an attorney that we use all the time called Patricia Cummings, she's a friend of ours. I don't know what an attorney does. I mean, like, I don't know how to find one. Do you like open up a phone book? Like, how do you do this? And so I didn't, like, I was like a law and order, barely a law and order type guy. So like, I I didn't know, like all attorneys are different. I thought it was just like, you get represented, they're gonna defend you, this and that. Yeah. So i hired her man and when she said how much she she costs as an attorney we had no money you know growing up i mean i i didn't have any money my mom had five boys and we were struggling just to feed us i
1: mean we ain't nothing but like chicken rice and beans growing up i'm with you, you know? i was eggs and rice that was my my right. jam, eggs and rice i was a single mother so, and your mom exactly. not five boys she's got a sick husband She's got mounting yeah. medical bills of her own, and it's hard. And she's an immigrant, isn't she?
0: Yes, she's a She's from Guatemala, and she's she's my dad. Uh, my dad actually met her in Guatemala and provided a life for her over here when he wanted to marry her because he met her in Guatemala. He was down there on some business trip. And he wanted to take him, bring bring her to America and start a life with her. And they had a wonderful life. You know, it wasn't the most financially, um, you know, fortunate life, but at the same time they loved each other very much. So my mom, when we heard how much Patricia cost and I knew there was without a doubt, you have to get defended and I'm not gonna get a a court appointed attorney. I mean, I've heard that they don't wanna work for you. They just wanna just do a deal and get paid and off you go. So I needed to pay for her and you know what my mom did? And a lot of people don't realize is my mom sold her house that we grew up in for $50,000 cash, fast cash, to pay for her because she wasn't going to represent me. And so that hurts, you know, and it still hurts to this day because all I want to do is give my mom that money back. You know, she deserves a house that she can call home because she's been living in an apartment um, this whole time. And when I tell you that I'm, I'm I'm doing everything for my family and for my mom, I really mean it.
1: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big
0: learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more
1: at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The faith that you had throughout this whole thing and the resilience that you've had, it's all going to come back to you tenfold because God knows what you've been through what the sacrifices have been and he knows that this happened for a greater good and those Mm -hmm. rewards are going to be bountiful for you i know that that's going to happen for you and your mom right
0: you know just going through all this nightmare i was actually given a a prophetic word and at at one point like i was real tough with prophetic words because i was still such a baby in my faith i was just like oh god told you to tell me something like okay let me hear what you got to say so this lady at the win unit, uh, the unit I was at, she was a volunteer through a chapel class, and she's a, a very strong woman of faith. Mm-hmm. She devoted herself to in ministry and she prays all the time. And I think the people, the people that pray all the time, you need to become really good friends with. Because yes. the people that pray all the time, they are gonna tell you something that maybe you can't hear for yourself because you're not you don't have a strength of a faith, right? So you need right to hear. Line.
1: And they have a direct line. Direct line.
0: Yeah. So you want to be best friends with people that pray a lot. So when I, when I, this lady showed up and she was a volunteer and she was given all of our names randomly. Okay. It's going to blow your mind here in a little bit because it blew my mind when I was struggling with prophetic words. And so she sat us all down. She said, I was given your name randomly before I came here from California. And I just want, you know, I asked God to just, Give me a word for you that's gonna encourage you, that's going to lift you up in this time of despair that you're going through. And um, it was like a circle of six of us, right? And yeah. so she started off on the right and just prophetic word after prophetic word, and some of them were hitting, and some of them were like, I don't understand what you're saying, and this and that. And so, but then she got to me, which is the last person, and like she said, you know, she looked at me, and at the time, I'm just gonna okay. Like, I want to hear what you got to say. Yeah. So dude, she started off saying, you know, Greg, when I was praying for you, I felt like it was really tough. I felt like there was some dark forces in your life and where I was hearing one voice and I was hearing another. And it's just, it was really tough for me to get something for you. But at the end of the day, I know for a fact, God told me that there's going to be double for your trouble, you man. And I was like, wait, well, okay, oh, you got me hooked. Like, go ahead, Yeah. So, So I was like, okay. And she said, you will be rewarded sevenfold for the nightmare that you're going through right now. And, oh, and I'm like, hold on a second. So I'm over here, like, moving around in my seat. And I'm like, I'm, I want to hear this because I'm, I'm going through the, the worst nightmare that I've ever gone through in my life where everything is stripped from me. I've lost everything I've gained. I've worked really hard for. I'm in a place I should not be. My friends, my family are going on without me. And yeah. I'm over here just trying to survive. And I didn't say any of that, but I'm just listening to her. And while she's talking, man, I'm just like, I'm breaking down crying. Because she then says, Greg, people that in your life have backstabbed you. I know it. At that moment, that's the week that I heard Jonathan McCarty was involved in my case. Ooh. Yeah. You had just I, heard that, it that week. That week, I heard Jonathan McCarty was the second suspect, and he potentially did
1: this crime. Maybe rewind it for you guys. Let me give you all a little bit of history again, for those of you who are just joining us. At this point, Greg had moved in with the family, the McCartys, the mother and the son, and they had ran a daycare business outside of this home. Greg had then been accused and convicted of molesting a four-year-old child and has been sitting in prison for now two years or a year and a half at this point. And the plot twist was that this could potentially have been done by one of his friends who he trusted. You guys were like brothers.
0: Yeah, he was like my little brother. And this
1: man sat there, this kid watched you go to jail for a crime that you did not commit. Yeah. Okay, and you talk about forgiveness. I'm sorry, I could not forgive that. I tell
0: you what, man. I'm telling you right now, without the love of God and grace in your life, in your heart, it's impossible, right? It's totally impossible because it's not something that we can do. I potentially cannot forgive that, right? But at the same time, the love that I've been shown, I feel like I'm now obligated to go and show it.
1: Greg, I love the Lord. And I know yeah. JC and I have a real good relationship, but I would have to f- sideline him and be like, yo, I gotta handle some shit. I need you to turn your I left do. eye because I don't know that I would have it in me to walk away right. and say, I forgive you because I trusted you. If it was a stranger right. who was trying to divert the attention, maybe, I don't know if I could do it with somebody who I call family. Right. That that's You're bigger than me. <laughs>
0: You know, you know, that's that's something where I struggle with too all the time and still to this day. But you know what I always kind of align my purpose and my vision with is that if this did not happen in my life, then the people that did this to me would still be in power to go and do this to other people. Right? I know this next thing I'm about to say might sound pretty cheesy, but it's almost like I was a sacrificial lamb yeah. for the next guy because Janet Duty's no longer there. Williamson County is getting their act together and they're cleaning up. Sean Dick's cleaning up. I mean, kudos to Sean Dick. Much respect. You know, um, I mean, just that one line he said on the documentary saying, if somebody came to me saying that the justice failed, right, and, and the justice yeah. failed this individual, why wouldn't I be open to see, right, yeah, stuff that they're talking about? So I think every DA needs to model after that because I think sometimes we can get so wrapped up on convictions, right, and 100%. That percentage, because the higher percentage of a convictions you have next thing, you know, you might get a little job opportunity as a judge. So that's something that, you know, needs to be put in check. Like, hey, prosecuting the bad guys. Good deal. Right. Like, yeah. need to do that when keep came off the street. But at the same time, if somebody the bad guy you're prosecuting is telling you, hey, he's innocent, then now you need to give him the right of due process that he has as American citizens of the United yes. States and now do the investigation, not just continue to keep that target on his back and hopefully just throw something at the wall. and hope it sticks. That's something that happened in my life.
1: I remember seeing the headlines in The New York Times about this whole thing. This was a nationwide um, case. And, you know, I want to know from you, What was it like sitting down and watching episode one, knowing that your name was finally going to get vindicated?
0: I think the first three episodes were so tough. I mean, I've watched the doc probably four times and, um, and and I don't, and I don't watch it for fun. I mean, i watch it because my one of my family members haven't seen it yet. So I was like, all right, I'll watch it with you. So, um, because it, it's not fun to watch. I mean it has to no. be, you know. And it's not like it's not like I'm watching Tiger King and this is, t- this is just something else, you know, about somebody else. It's what actually could. opening up opening up wounds for the person that you that, that it happened to. So watching it, there's times where I was like, Man, I can't believe that was me. I can't believe that, whoa, like, did I get go through that? Like, so because I remember like I always tell people like I felt like it was, felt like a big dream. It felt like a big, a long nightmare. And the moment I got exonerated, I woke up wondering if that was real or not. And because, yeah. I, you know, when you have a bad dream, you wake up and you're like, oh, thank God that wasn't real. And so, right? but like when I woke up from that dream and started my life again, this whole thing, it felt like what I was going through and the emotions I was going through was normal. But at the same time, things that happened to me in prison, it reminds me. Like, whenever, every time I go through something, like, um, I hear, like, a, a steel door close, right? Or, like, that, like a gate close, I think of a cell. I'm, I lived in New York, man. I lived in New York for four months. And whenever I was in Times Square and I would walk to the gym because we lived over by the Lincoln Tunnel and the gym was all over by Fifth Avenue. So, I would literally walk a mile and a half to go to the gym and I would go through Times Square and when we're when I was shoulder to shoulder with people, bumping off people in Times Square, it was PTSD. I thought, yeah, I was just like, I hate this, so I'm gonna take the long way. You know, so I had to take the long way because it's like that, that small little PTSD of crowds. Because prisons just overly populated in Texas, man. I mean, there's like over 160,000 inmates in, in a, yeah, in, in prison, and there's not enough units. You know, so yeah. um, it's a big cattle herd, and. Um, yeah man i mean it was small little things like that you know it's just like my life i feel like i'm picking back up as a teenager but at the same time i've developed a maturity about myself and i've also developed life skills of survival and i always, yeah. tell, I'd always tell my wife if you and i got through prison every every time we argue oh. little argues as like i always tell her i'm like at least i'm not in prison <laughs> and right so, and, and so she's like okay and so it's just yeah
1: Greg, I'm going to ask you a personal question and I'm dying to know. And if it's too deep for you, you don't have to go there. You know, when I got to episode five, you know, I thought to myself, I really hope the victim's family watched this because for me, it would give me a, a, a sense of, not closure, but a sense of the truth. Um, yeah. Do you know or have you talked to them since the documentary came out?
0: Unfortunately, I have not. I've been wanting to, um, you know, I've asked multiple times if I can talk to him. Um, it's been declined every time. It's so heartbreaking. So like, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm so, so driven, man, to hold p- these people that did me wrong accountable because I received some sort of justice, but do you know who still remains
1: failed? It's the victim. Family. Still and, remains failed. And the family of the victim. Yes. Let me ask you this other question. You know, I think a lot of times for myself, I just need closure in things. And I need to talk through things and let people know how I feel. Right. Did you ever call Shama and tell her what those three years were like while you were in jail? And have you gotten any closure from the McCarty family at all?
0: No, I Uh, haven't. I reached out to Jonathan McCarty when I was in jail and he was in the same jail as me. I actually told my attorney to ask his attorney if I can actually sit down with him face to face and me personally ask him, did you do this? And and he, I wanted to, him to look at me in the face. Cause you would have known. Say, yes or no. Yeah. I would have known. And it, I wanted him to look at me in the face and tell me that he did not do this. And he, de- he declined my, my, my sit-down with him. He didn't want to sit down with me. And so when he did that, that's when I lost all respect for the kid. Um, but at the same time, I can't live a- each and every day, man, with complete anger towards him because at the end of the day, man, he's got what's coming to him. He's got exactly, and I always got to remember this whole process. And that's the thing, man, is when this happens to you, it's totally natural to go and want to, want everybody that's done you wrong to feel pain. Yeah. But at the same time, I always remind myself through scripture that the vengeance is God's. It's not mine. I don't need to go out there and, and, hope, and take the law in my hands. I'm free, and I'm going to be as free as I possibly can be. Because you know what? Yeah. To, to, to repay everybody that I, that's fought for me that loves me and to create, to repay God for showing up in my situation and showing a miracle to the world that, you know what, when you get together and you go fight for the truth, then you have a big voice when right. you're just hands and feet. So when you go and do that, change will happen. I think that's a perfect example wow. of change. And so to repay everybody who's fought for me and loves me, I'm going to go live life, man. You know what I mean? I'm not going to get caught up. I'm not going to get caught
1: up. Greg, how much therapy have you had? Because you just seem so even killed and you because I can't imagine at 18 years old, you would go into the prison system labeled as something, get out and not feel vengeful, hurt, destroyed, defeated. Like, what was that process like for you to get acclimated back into life? And did you have to see somebody?
0: You know, um, the only therapy that I got when I got out of prison was, um, you know, spiritual counseling with a pastor um, called Pastor Bob Bryden. He's a pastor of a church here in Leander, Texas, called Mm -hmm. Generations Church. He's also the father of Jake Bryden. I don't think we've talked about Jake Bryden yet. No. Jake Bryden is the guy who helped you. He's the mouth of the South. He's that angel that came out of nowhere that didn't know me that didn't know my family the only connection he had was that he was a student of david anderson and ah. he saw david anderson on tv crying sobbing that i got convicted at court and he called him and said what's going on with greg kelly what's going what's what's going on with this greg kelly kid why do i always hear about him and see him on the tv and this and that and so jake was i mean K- david was like you know jake you know greg is such a great young man he's my daughter's boyfriend, and I love the kid. He's got an extreme work ethic. He, he wants to make his family proud and go play football and just go make something of himself. He's been nothing but respectful to my daughter and he's been falsely accused and wrongfully convicted for a crime wow. he didn't do. And there's just nothing we can do about it, Jake. And th- so Jake was like, you know, David, i have known you to be a, a guy that was kind of like a father figure to me going growing up in high school and, um, if, if you're telling me he's innocent, then I'm gonna go and find it. I'm gonna go and do some investigating. And if and Jake went to go do some investigating, he told David, if I come back and think he's not innocent, then I'm gonna go and advocate for that he's guilty. And yeah. so, so David's like, okay, Jake, I understand. And so Jake goes out and goes and, and investigates. He comes back and said, all right, we need to fight for this man's life. And so Jake out wow. of nowhere. Jake, out of nowhere, starts fighting for my life, man. Calls my broken mom and tells A her... A stranger. Stranger. He says, I'm going to do whatever I can do in my power to fight for your son, Miss Kelly. Because A stranger. Happened to me. if this ever happened to me, or my brother, or anybody that I love, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to prove his innocence and get him out of this situation. So... You, you, I mean, Jake came out of nowhere, man. He came out left field. You know, he was the 12th man coming into the game and, you know, messing things up. And so we cannot,
1: yeah. we cannot even get people to wear a mask to help their fellow Americans right now. And this right. man came out of the blue, machete in hand, microphone in hand, cut some trees down yeah. and let people see the light. I'm literally just playing back episodes in my head and I'm still in disbelief that you are sitting here with a straight face and a beating heart right now because I just don't think I could get out of it. I'm a strong person. I don't think I could do it. I can do
0: a lot. You know, I always, I always live by this, the saying in this scripture, man, is that you just don't know uh, how much you can love someone until you're loved yourself. So that's what I mean by that is whoever is forgiven much in life goes and forgives. So whenever I, I say, I say like, you know, all this hate and anger that I had in my life and my heart, I feel like I've been forgiven from it because it is a yeah. sin to hold hate in your heart. It yeah. is to go and live a life and go hate your fellow person because they've done you wrong. But you know, the Bible says is that, you know, that's expected, dude. I mean, it's expected yeah. to go love your friends, but try to go love your enemies. Right. sure. Because what that and the Bible also said, it's like whenever you go and love someone that's done you wrong, it's like putting heaping coals on the top of their head. They just don't yeah. understand. They're like running around with their chickens cut up. Heads no, cut you're up. right.
1: There's a moment I'm going to tell you that, like, honestly, it will stick with me for the rest of my life. And I will always refer to it as the Gray Kelly moment. And it's the moment where they say guilty and you put your fa- head down and you make a conscious effort to pick it back up and leave with your head held high, and you try not to break down because you didn't want your family to see you like that, I will forever carry that moment in my head. And anytime I think I'm gonna put my head down and I'm gonna wallow and I'm gonna crush and I'm gonna you know succumb to the pressure, I will always say, what would Grant Kelly do? And I will pick my head up. I will never forget it. I had to rewind it a few times. It's crazy.
0: Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, took a whole lot of strength. And um, I, I'm so thankful that I was strong enough to get through it because now it's just nothing but the you know, sky's the limit now.
1: I'm so happy I got to talk to you today. I'm so happy that your story is out there. For anybody who is listening to this or know someone who is in the criminal system, you know, who is innocent, and who's fighting for their innocence, what advice would you have for them?
0: If it's the person that is getting accused, if it's the person that is innocent, and they're telling everybody that they're innocent, and it just seems like nobody's believing them, don't give up. Do not be scared. And if anybody ever tells you to not show emotion because it might make you look guilty, don't listen to that crap. One of the jurors of my trial literally said that we could not believe Greg Kelly because he did not show emotion. emotion. So any advice I have to anybody who is going through this, be brave, be courageous, fight like hell, and believe in God because he's going to show up in your life.
1: The resilience alone and the bravery and just the fact that you didn't give up hope is beyond me. And I still, th- I think about it every time I see a preview or I run past it on, you know, on my on my Apple TV. I'm like, damn, I just I really can't believe it. I can't wrap my head around it. And I'm just so happy for you that you finally got the justice you deserve and really got a chance to live your life and reclaim it.
0: Thank you for having me here on the show to explain a little bit behind the scenes and the personal stuff, man. So thank you.
1: I'm telling you guys, you got to watch I'll Cry. It's the craziest, most insane documentary you have ever seen in your life. Greg, where can people find these boards? Because I'm about to order myself one. (laughs) So,
0: um, yeah,
1: man. So I
0: I customize and I build axe boards. We ship them across the U.S. Um, I also build and customize uh, cornhole boards. So any type of yard game you guys like. Uh, Check out Tomahawk Targets on Instagram or Facebook and uh, we can deliver it to your doorstep. So, um, yeah, man, I appreciate that.
1: I love you. Thank you so much. Give your wife a hug and a kiss for me. And I owe owe her ass some time, too, because the resilience and just being steadfast. I love you guys. And you guys, Outcry is out now on Showtime. I love you, Greg Kelly. Thank you for taking just a sip.
0: I appreciate that, brother. you have have a great rest of your day. It's my pleasure. I'll see you later.
1: Okay, you guys. E! News did reach out to Shama and Jonathan McCarty for comment, both with no response. Now, all individuals involved in the initial prosecution continue to stand by their investigation and defense of the case. Greg's lawyers have filed documents naming Jonathan McCarty as an alternate suspect. He has not been charged at this time and denies any involvement. In 2019, Jonathan was sentenced to four years in prison for an unrelated case and is currently out on bond pending an appeal. You guys, thanks for listening and do not forget to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And you can follow me at The Lady Sitter and be sure to come back every week for another pour of your favorite celebrity.